Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Today on the Matt Wall Show, two people died during the Kenosha riots last night. The breakdown of law and order continues, and this is what happens when the government simply refuses to do its job and protect its citizens like it's supposed to do. Also, five headlines, including the media's hysterical reaction to Nick Sandman's uh, great speech at the RNC convention. Plus, teachers claim they were traumatized by an active shooter drill uh, and now require money to heal their emotional wounds. Funny how that works. And in our daily cancellation, we're going to cancel the esteemed race baiter, Jameel Hill. Uh, all of that on the way, lots to cover, but, but we start here with, with, unfortunately, the inevitable. Three people shot in Kenosha last night, two fatally, as the violent insurrection, not just a riot, an insurrection, went into its third night in the city. Uh, nationwide, we're on the third month of all of this. Many of the details are still hazy. There's plenty of, uh, plenty of, plenty of video out there. I can't play most of it here because it's extremely graphic, but... Here's what we know. According to reports, and this is crucial context, the ineffectual, useless boob of a governor, Tony Evers, uh, turned down help and reinforcement from the Trump administration to assist in quelling the chaos and the violence. The administration offered it. He said no. Instead, Evers sent in a small National Guard deployment of 250. It was not enough. Not nearly enough. The violence escalated. Um, as it has been, and uh, armed men, the media is calling them militia, quote-unquote, appeared on the scene to protect private property from rioters. It appears that one of the people who came to protect private property wound up shooting and killing two people. Uh, there are two separate incidents with multiple vi videos circulating online. As I said, I can't play them, but if you want to look them up, you can, and you can see it. In one video, an armed man can be seen running away from rioters who are pursuing him, one of the pursuers was also armed, apparently. Uh, the man who was running trips, falls, and as the riders, including the armed rider, lunge at him, he opens fire and hits at least two of them. Now, it seems pretty clear cut that that particular shooting in that case was probably in self-defense. He, he was trying to get out of the situation. He was being pursued. Uh, he opened fire right before he was about to be descended upon and you know, potentially killed. In another incident, which, which happened before this one, involving, I believe, the same person. Someone is shot in the head at a car dealership. The videos uh, that I, I've seen in that case are far less vivid and conclusive. But in fact, here's one clip I can show because it's not very graphic, but it also isn't very clear. Uh, but anyway, take a look and see what you can discern from this. So it appears that Again, the guy with the gun was running away. He was being pursued. Something was thrown at him. Uh, you can't tell what it is from my vantage point. It seemed to be something that was on fire, maybe a Molotov cocktail or something along those lines. And then uh, the shooting happened. So again, a lot is still unknown. But here are a few things we do know. Okay. First of all, you will hear that the armed citizens, the militia, are white supremacists. There is simply no information to support that claim right now. And it's a claim being made by people who call anyone who disagrees with or resists the rioters white supremacists. Just to illustrate that point, 
that they'll call anyone white supremacist. I want to I quickly show you this video from the riots on Monday night. Watch this. This poor man got his, house, his business caught on fire. I'm sorry, sir. I'm very sorry about that, man. Yeah, really. I, hey, I have nothing to do with that. I'm trying to stop this here. Dude, I'm going to help this guy. I don't give a if I get beat up. They just threw a bottle at this guy. Hey, 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 no, no, no. Sir, 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 sir. Are you okay? Okay, so what? that's a difficult video to watch. What we appear to have there is an elderly business owner trying to stop looters from burning and ransacking his store. They beat him unconscious and leave his building in flames. And how was this incident characterized by the riot defenders? Well, a noted uh, race-hustling dirtbag by the name of Tariq Nasheed is just a really bad guy. Uh, he, ch he chimed in about this incident, and look at how he framed it on Twitter. This is what he said. Freedom fighters in Kenosha defended themselves from a suspected white supremacist who was trying to attack black people with an extinguisher as if this was, this was the 1960s still. Notice how the Karen tried to scare the people with retaliation talk. Black people are already being targeted. Okay, so the elderly man trying to stop looters from burning down his business is a suspected white supremacist and the scumbags who beat him unconscious and stole his stuff are freedom fighters. My point here again is simply that when you hear the term white supremacist applied to anyone these days, you can't take it at face value. And that's the first thing about the shootings last night. The second point is that most of the video floating around um, appears to show that the shootings were self-defense. As I said, one of the incidents is pretty clear, the other one not so much. But I haven't seen any video that in indicates that this was an act of premeditated murder by a white supremacist. That's how it's being characterized by dishonest, race-baiting snakes. But I have not seen any evidence of that. And they haven't presented any evidence of it. If such evidence is presented in the future, then I'll take it into account and change my opinion accordingly. I actually will change my opinion based on facts, unlike a lot of these people who are defending the rioters. So those are the, those are the less clear parts and, and the more sort of tentative parts based on what we know. Um, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be any support for the white, racist white supremacist murder narrative, and there does seem to be plenty of support for the self-defense narrative. But who knows? You know, that can change. We'll see. Now, let's get to the even clearer parts of this, though, the things that we can say without any equivocation. Two things there. Number one, people have a right to exercise this, the Second Amendment while protecting private property. You do not have a right to destroy private, pro private property. If you do get shot while in the process of trying to destroy someone else's property or harm them personally, then that will be your fault. Uh, we can say this as a general statement. Many of the rioters and insurrectionists believe they have some kind of God-given, sacred, divinely enshrined right to quite literally do whatever they want, wherever they want, to whoever they want, however they want. 
If a man stands with a gun to stop them from burning down his store or someone else's store or anything else, uh, they feel like this is a personal and direct attack against them. These are people who have been driven mad by their own entitlement. That's the first. Number two, all of this is happening because of a monumental failure of government, unlike anything we've seen in this country in generations. Elected leaders are refusing to do their jobs, refusing to protect their citizens. There is a way to put an end to all of this and restore order. It wouldn't even be that difficult. Easy for me to say, of course, as I sit here, but the point is that there is an established blueprint for these situations. The blueprint has not failed. It's just been ignored. And the blueprint is this. Meet the insurrectionists with overwhelming force. Arrest every single person who throws a brick, lights a fire, breaks a window. Prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. Put lengthy prison sentences on them. Send the message that anyone involved in this chaos will be sacrificing years of their lives. Uh, These scrawny, privileged punks, they don't want to go to prison. They don't want to spend years behind bars with Bubba and the boys. Right now, they know they won't. Even if they're arrested, which most likely they won't be, they'll probably have charges dropped or get fined for a misdemeanor or something. In Portland, they're cycling rioters through the system like a Ferris wheel. You know, arrest them, let them go, arrest them, let them go, arrest them, let them go, round and round and round. Make that Ferris wheel a one-way ticket and show up. And after you've, you know, before you do that, you have to show up on the streets with aggressive, overpowering force. The rioters, you know, they're out there using umbrellas as shields. It's a game to them. But just to them, to the people who lost their livelihoods, their businesses, their homes, their lives, it's not a game. So make the rioters understand the seriousness of the situation. Make them. The government has the power to make them. It refuses to use it. And our society slips further into the clutches of anarchy because of it. But this is all their fault. And whatever you think about the armed, quote-unquote, militia that's now showing up to fill in the gap, whose fault is that? It's the fault of our elected leaders who have refused to do their jobs. And what we've learned, like so many other things in life, if you won't do your job, someone else is going to do it for you. And you might not like the way they do it. Don't want to see that happen? Then once again, do your damned job. Let's go to five headlines. Before we get to the headlines here, you know, the RNC is, uh, we're we're talking about the RNC in just a second, but it's off to a pretty good start this week, blowing the DNC out of the water in in almost every way, especially when it comes to ratings. In fact, reports of Monday night's C-SPAN viewership are six times the opening night of the DNC, um, which is pretty, uh, pretty astounding. Not very surprising, though given what I was forced to watch last week. I guess I'm not, I'm not too surprised to see that. Daily Wire is uh, matching this enthusiasm with an even better lineup of All Access Live to watch the RNC with you at dailywire.com. Uh, starting today at 8.15 Eastern, 5.15 Pacific, I will be live streaming the entire night of RNC speakers and watching with you, uh, taking your questions and your comments and telling you authoritatively, not just what I think, but also what you should think about this. Don't, don't think for yourself. Okay, let me do the thinking for you. That's Remember, I'm the theocratic fascist dictator. That's the way this is supposed to work. Uh, and we'll be hosting more live watch parties every day for the rest of the week. So don't miss out. All Access members get to join uh, All Access live sessions where one of us hosts, hosts uh, hop on every night to uh, chat with you both in live stream and in the comments. 
So go to dailywire.com slash Walsh right now to get 20% off all access with coupon code access. Dailywire.com slash Walsh, coupon code access, 20% off. Go there now. Okay. So number one, uh, uh, number one is day two of the RNC convention last night, as just mentioned. You won't be surprised to learn that my favorite moment was a speech uh, not from a non, a, not from a politician, because my theory that politicians never give interesting speeches ever has been, in my opinion, confirmed by both conventions. But luckily, there's been some non-political speeches that I thought were pretty good. Nick Sandman, the uh, the kid who was slandered by CNN and other media companies and sued them and forced them to settle the lawsuits. He spoke for several minutes. Uh, he had a lot to say that was quite relevant and important, but I'm going to play just a clip of, of him giving his side of the story, describing from his perspective what happened on that uh, fateful day in D.C. Watch this. My name is Nick Sandman, and I'm the teenager who was defamed by the media after an encounter with a group of protesters on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial last year. Before I begin, I'd like to thank President Trump for the opportunity to share some of my story and why it matters so much to this November's election. In 2019, I attended the March for Life in Washington, D.C., where I demonstrated in defense of the unborn. Later that day, I bought a Make America Great Again hat because our president, Donald Trump, has distinguished himself as one of the most pro-life presidents in the history of our country, and I wanted to express my support for him too. Looking back now, how could I possibly imagine that the simple act of putting on that red hat would unleash hate from the left and make myself the target of network and cable news networks nationwide? Being from Kentucky, the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln, my classmates and I visited the Lincoln Memorial. I found myself face to face with Nathan Phillips and other professional protesters looking to turn me into the latest poster child showing why Trump is bad. While the media portrayed me as an aggressor with a relentless smirk on my face, in reality, the video confirms I was standing with my hands behind my back and an awkward smile on my face that hid two thoughts. One, don't do anything that might further agitate the man banging a drum in my face. And two, I was trying to follow a family friend's advice, never to do anything to embarrass your family your school, or your community. Before I knew what was happening, it was over. One of Mr. Phillips' fellow agitators yelled out, we got him. It's all right here on video. And we won, Grandpa. So, and then he goes on to talk about cancel culture and how it's, you know, wielded by the media and the left to destroy people they don't like. A very effective speech all around. I mean, this is a guy, you, you want to talk about victims of the cancel culture. This is This is one of the classic examples of it. A very, as I said, effective, and, and and the best part is the media just absolutely hated it. Uh, I, th- this was playing on CNN, which is great. They were just really mad, salty, as the kids would say, and so they lashed out again, just spewing vitriol at this kid. Many examples I could show, but let's just go with this one. Joe Lockhart is a CNN contributor, and he is, I think, very jealous that Nick Sandman gets paid more from CNN than he does. So he tweeted this. Uh, I'm watching tonight because it's important, but I don't have to watch this snot-nosed, entitled kid from Kentucky. Talking about Sandman. Uh, snot-nosed, entitled kid from Kentucky is what he calls him. Right. Well, Joe, you know, better to be a snot-nosed, entitled kid than a snot-nosed, entitled old fart like you. I mean, if you have to choose between the two, 
that I mean, that's really the time to be snot-nosed and entitled as, as a kid. We, we, we all were. Um, but, you know, you're, what, in your 50s, 60s now, and, and you still are. And the thing is, yes, Nick is entitled. He actually is. Some people are entitled to certain things. He actually is entitled to not be slandered and libeled. Right? He, he's legally entitled to that. And so if he's coming off as entitled... That's because he has a certain entitlement, a real legal entitlement that is protection from libel and slander that was infringed. And that's why now CNN is entitled to pay him for that. That's how it works. Uh, Okay, number two, big news here. New evidence was filed in the George Floyd case. It's a document from the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker. And let me read this document to you in full. Here's what it says. A short document filed in court. It says, on May 31st, 2020, at 7.30 p.m., Assistant Hennepin County Attorney Patrick Lofton and I met with Dr. Andrew Baker on Microsoft Teams. All three of us were in different locations. Dr. Baker said that he had and recently received the final toxicology results from Mr. George Floyd's samples, which were analyzed by NMS Labs. AB shared his screen and showed us the results. He said that they're that uh, where it says hospital blood, those samples are from Mr. Floyd's hospital admissions and were not acquired as autopsy. AB said that these samples are better for determining actual blood toxicity than samples taken at the autopsy. Samples taken at autopsy may have undergone post-mortem distribution, uh, whatever that means. AB walked us down the list of substances for which M- NMS labs tested. Those values he highlighted were 4-ANPP, a precursor and metabolite of fentanyl present in Mr. Floyd's blood, methamphetamine, which he describes as very near the low end and a stimulant hard on the heart. Uh, Fentanyl, he said, that's pretty high. This level of fentanyl can cause pulmonary edema. Mr. Floyd's lungs were two to three times their normal weight at autopsy. That's a fatal level of fentanyl under normal circumstances. And then norfentanyl, uh, a metabolite of fentanyl. Mr. Floyd's urine was tested for four things and are redundant. Um, AB said that if Mr. Floyd had been found dead in his home or anywhere else, and there were no other contributing factors, he would conclude that it was an overdose death. Okay. So he had le- a level of fentanyl in the system that's fatal under normal circumstances. Uh, and under normal circumstances, he would have been ruled an overdose. These seem like important details. Now, you could say, well, this is not a normal circumstances. The arrest, the knee on the neck contributed to it. Yes, but it's hard to see how you sustain a murder charge when a person has potentially fatal levels of of a toxin in their body, which they themselves willingly ingested. So more details in that case that are are interesting. Number three, the Indy Star reports eight elementary school teachers who were shot with airsoft guns execution style during an active shooter training drill last year are suing the sheriff's department that conducted the training. The controversial training drill conducted at Meadowland Elementary School in northern Indiana last year became national news after teachers uh, reported being left bruised, bloodied, and traumatized. The lawsuit filed last week in Indiana's northern federal court claims that four white county sheriff, um, white county sheriff's deputies should subject the teachers to verbal threats, expletives, and screaming in addition to being struck with plastic pellets fired from airsoft guns. The teachers displayed obvious signs of anguish and physical pain, but were humiliated to find the law enforcement officers joking and laughing at them. Uh, The complaint says the terrifying and inexplicable experience left the teachers with lasting physical and emotional injuries. Let's see. And then it goes on. A first grade teacher was diagnosed with PTSD after this. Uh, It continues. It says eight teachers out of approximately 35 that were present have signed the lawsuit. Uh, 
Um, According to the complaint, the teachers were broken up into small groups and told by sheriff's deputies to line up facing a wall and kneel. Once they were kneeling, an officer shot the teachers across the backs. Why? What was the point of this? Um, They were not told to tell the other teacher. They were told not to tell the other teachers waiting in another room for their turn. And uh, later in the day, teachers were also subject to a series of drills in which they were instructed at different times to hide in classrooms, to try and barricade doors, and to throw tennis balls at the officers. During each drill, officers shot the teachers with airsoft guns, according to the complaint. Uh, Then it goes on. Physical and emotional injuries, uh, according to the complaint, the teachers experienced uh, several severe, well, it says several emotional distress. I'm pretty sure it means to say severe emotional distress. Okay. All right. Now, a few points here. Not to laugh at their emotional distress, uh, which I am a little bit. This whole scene just seems completely outlandish. First of all, to say you have PTSD from being shot with a pellet gun is absurd. I'm sorry. I've been shot with a pellet gun in my day many times and really doesn't hurt that much. Um, And, you know, as long as you don't take a pellet to the eye or anything, that, that could cause problems. So all of this whining about emotional distress is obviously ridiculous and just a bit of theater from teachers who are looking for a payday. Second, it, it, you know, and, and as, aside from all that, I've never quite understood, even if there's if there is real emotional distress, how, how do you quantify that in, in terms of money? How do you put a, a certain dollar amount on emotional? Well, I, I, I have 50 million dollars worth of emotional distress. I think 50 million dollars. Would, would heal this, this, these, my emotional problem. 40 million won't do it. You know, 55 million, I don't need, no, just right there at 50 million. That's what I need. I have, I've looked within myself and realized that $50 million is what will heal me. That's never quite made sense to me. But second, um, these active shooter drills are also completely ridiculous. It, it just seems like a really macabre adult version of cops and robbers. It's fantasy role play in the guise of safety training is what it is. The whole thing is a waste of time and resources. Um, the, you know, why do the teachers need to act out being executed? Like, like what, what do you need practice for that? Um, and why do the cops need practice doing it? That's a little bit disturbing too. So the whole thing is just is, is a waste. The, and, and the chances that a particular school will actually be the victim of a mass school shooting is, is so vanishingly small that you can't possibly justify the amount of time and energy and resources put into stuff like this. Even if, you know, these kinds of drills were effective, which I don't think they are at all. But um, now that doesn't mean that schools shouldn't have policies in place and ways to protect themselves. I'm just saying that acting out these role play games, like they're at boot camp, you know, tr- training to be to invade some Middle Eastern country or something is, I think, totally ludicrous. And besides, you know, you, you can give the instructions and tell people what to do without shooting them with airsoft guns. When you do a fire drill, you don't actually like burn people. You don't. You don't. You don't when, you, when you do the fire drill, do you light candles and then chase the kids down the hallway and like start singeing their elbows while they're running? No. Um, all you have to do is just tell them, okay, this is what we do. Here's here in case this thing happens, probably won't happen, but if it does, this is what we do. Okay, thanks. Now I know we can go about our day. And besides, the training goes out the window anyway once the bullets start flying. But most people who are not professional, you know, 
professional law enforcement, professional in the military, whatever, once the bullets fly, they're just going to panic anyway and do whatever seems the most appropriate in that situation. So even if the scenario you act out actually happens, your little staged production probably won't do any good. And really when it comes down to it, if there's a shooter going around executing people room by room, you, know, you, you can either try to get out of the building or if you have a gun to protect yourselves, you can use that, which I, which I think would be great if schools were able to actually protect themselves in that way. But if you're in the room and you have no gun and you haven't left and the shooter comes in and you know, you're, you're literally backed into a corner and he's the only one armed, um, I, I just don't know that there's any real strategy you can have in place that's going to prevent horrible things from happening. And certainly throwing tennis balls at him isn't going to do anything. Um, okay, let's go to number four. Don Lemon of CNN is finally... Finally speaking out against the rioting. Only took him about three months, but finally he has, he's finally realized that it's a problem. It's just, it's not a problem in the way that you probably think it's a problem. Listen to this. I do think that uh, this, what you said was happening in Kenosha is a Rorschach test for the entire country. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. And so, unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days or 70 so, however many days. 68 days. 68 days. So it's not going to, the, the problem is not going to be fixed by then. But what they can do, and I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it. He's got to come out and talk about it. He's got to do a speech like Barack Obama did about race. He's got to come out and tell people that he is going to deal with the issue of police reform in this country and that what's happening now is happening under Donald Trump's watch and on Donald Trump's watch. And when he is the president, Kamala Harris is the vice president, then they will take care of this problem. But guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know, and I know it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. And the Democrats tonight stuck with that, right? And they also stuck with the theme that you said, the coronavirus. You got coronavirus and you have Kenosha. Okay, but you see the caveat there. He's speaking out because it hurts Democrats in the polls. That's what he's worried about. He's not worried about people's lives, livelihood, businesses being destroyed. He's worried about the polls, which doesn't surprise me, of course, but it's, it, it is always interesting when they say that stuff out loud. Number five, finally, uh, what we've all been waiting for, really hoping for Aaron Rodgers has chimed in, um, about the shooting of Jacob Blake and, you know, the social and cultural issues at play as well. And we can all, we can all see the matter, I think more clearly now that the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers has expounded on the issue. So, uh, we, as I said, we've all been waiting for this and uh, really glad that he's here to pass his wisdom along. Here's what he had to say. I think like, you know, like I said in the video and like we talked about in the video that we put out, there's a systemic problem. And until the problem is fixed, this is going to be an all too common sighting in this country. It's obviously hits home, you know, being not far from Green Bay. Um, 
I'm not going to, you know, comment directly on the video until uh, more facts come out. But, you know, obviously it's, um, it's something where you, as a, as a non-police officer, I think a lot of us, the natural question is uh, when uh, is lethal force necessary? And again, I think that goes to a systematic problem that needs to be addressed at some point. You know, there's antiquated laws uh, that, you know, are prejudicial against people of color in this state. I think the governor and his, and the folks, uh, you know, at the Capitol need to take a hard look at some of those systems that are in place. Yeah, that just has, that, that has major, major hostage video vibes going on. All of these videos of uh, these athletes, uh, like Brett Favre and, you know, others, Speaking about this, they all have hostage video vibes, but nothing quite like this. You can, you can just um, imagine masked men with guns in the background whispering lines to him. Say systemic racism. Systemic racism. Say it. Uh, I mean, Rogers, is, he, he's, he's just going through a list of buzzwords and phrases that he probably picked up when he scanned the BLM website right before going in for the press conference. And he's just sitting there like, um, you know, the thing is... Uh, there's systemic underlying patriarchal cisgendered privilege 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 uh, contributing to uh, inequity and racial injustice. By the way, he says that antiquated laws have something to do with it. He mentions antiquated. That's another buzz phrase he picked up. The uh, antiquated laws. There's antiquated. The laws are antiquated. Uh, 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 Aaron, what, what does antiquated mean again? Well, it just means means they're they're very anti- Just means they're antiquated. That's what it means. But what what does that have to do with the Jacob Blake shooting? What antiquated laws are we talking about? The laws against sexual assault. I mean, that, that's why there was a warrant for his arrest. I just don't know what laws he's talking about here that have anything to do with it. Well, and he doesn't know either. Of course, he's just. He's just babbling and um, hoping that it'll be enough to keep the mob from coming after him. And we'll see if it does. All right, let's go to our daily cancellation. Now, for our daily cancellation, we're going to be short and to the point here. I'm, 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 I'm late on this, I admit. And part of me was hesitant to perform this cancellation because it seems so redundant. I mean, why bother canceling Jameel Hill? She's already permanently canceled. Every day is another cancelable offense from her. But this one, I just can't let go. I can't resist. It's the principle of it. So here's the latest from Jamil, uh, a tweet. It says, been reading Isabel Wilkerson's new book, Cast. That's a book about racism in America. I haven't read it. Don't plan to. Uh, she says, if you were of the opinion that the United States wasn't nearly as bad as Nazi Germany, how wrong you are. Can't encourage you enough to read this masterpiece. If Jamil Hill calls a book a masterpiece, I'll be pretty sure to avoid it. But nearly as bad as Nazi Germany. Now, obviously, the very fact that you can even make this statement without being carted off to a camp somewhere is proof in and of itself that it's completely false. Jamil Hill's entire career at this point is proof that the statement is false. Her only existence, her, her existence is focused around complaining about America and the president and telling us how evil our country is. And she does very well for herself. She makes plenty of money, very comfortable. Let me ask you, how much money do you think you could make or could have made in Nazi Germany if you went into the business of criticizing Germany and Hitler? I mean, how prominent and successful do you think you could have been? Some people did, in fact, do that. Uh, it wasn't much of a business. 
And, uh, and, you know, and they had to do it while they were in hiding, and most of them wound up dead. So this cannot be emphasized enough. The first clue that you are not under a fascist dictatorship is that you can go out in public and say, we are under a fascist dictatorship. Second clue is that actually in this country, you can do more than that. You can make that statement in the form of burning a building or throwing chunks of concrete at police. Uh, and you'll probably emerge unscathed. You can go home after a fun night of violent insurrection, pop some you know, leftover Chinese into the microwave, watch a little Netflix before bed. This should tell you something about the level of fascism in America, namely that the level, level is zero. Unless we're counting you, yourself, as you know, the violent bully wreaking havoc and destruction as the fascist, in which case the level of fascism in America is you. And you know, we could go on for days here, giving other ways in which modern America differs from Nazi Germany because it differs in every conceivable way. Yet Jamil Hill is an allegedly educated person saying this. And lots of allegedly educated people agree and have said similar. So what does that tell us? It tells us, I think, uh, the familiar story. First, that people in this country are woefully ignorant of the basic facts of history. We, we have reached catastrophic levels of ignorance. Now, people in this country, they know some names, Hitler, Thomas Jefferson, Columbus. And of course, they put all those people on the same moral level. And they know some events, you know, World War II, 9-11, uh, the moon landing, uh, the building of the pyramids, you know, the, the pilgrims were in there somewhere in between. But they have almost no fleshed out understanding of any of these people or events. And that's because a fleshed out in-depth understanding, developing a real grasp of a subject, requires you to do things like read full entire books. You want to know about the rise of, of Nazi, Nazism in Ger Germany? Well, read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, one of the great nonfiction, great history books of all time in my view. But it's a thousand pages long and a country full of people who have melted their brains and destroyed their capacity for concentration by ingesting nothing but TV and movies and YouTube videos aren't reading a thousand pages or even 10 pages. So this is, a, as I said, crisis, catastrophic levels of ignorance that we're dealing with in America. Um, and yet, you know, pe people, we would say that we have, we are maybe the most informed society in the history of the world. We certainly have access to more information than any other society ever has. In the, in the modern world, we have access to really all of the accumulated knowledge of mankind we have access to in these little devices that we carry around in our pockets. So we have access to a lot of information. We are, most of us, very informed in the sense that we have a lot of disjointed bits of trivia and little bits of this and that bouncing around in our noggins. Um, but in terms of real understanding and actual knowledge of events and things that are occurring around us and have occurred in history, we don't have very much of that at all. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, of course, just the, the immense amount of privilege that you have to have that someone like Jameel Hill must have. She's a well-known, prominent person. I don't know what her net worth is, but um, I can pretty much guarantee you it's considerably more than the average person's net worth. And uh, as I said, she makes a living just complaining about uh, America and, uh, and in, 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 in often in, in quite absurd terms. Very comfortable. And yet she looks at her position in America and, and what she goes through as equivalent to the persecution of people under Hitler in Nazi Germany. 
the, the little bit of discomfort that she faces, you know, in her mind, it may as well be getting shipped off to a concentration camp because she is so privileged. And it's the same story. These rioters and looters, extremely, extraordinarily privileged people who encounter a little bit of pushback, a few obstacles, a few things don't go their way in their lives, and they, they cannot handle it. To them, it is, it is a crisis. It is a historic persecution. It, it, it puts them you know, in the same category as, 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 as all of the horrifically oppressed and persecuted people of history. So that is, you want to talk about privilege, there it is right there. That's why Jamil Hill is, of course, canceled. But, you know, as I said, we, she'll be canceled again tomorrow. And we, we, we could do this anytime. Um, and, you know, so every once in a while, we'll just we'll check in with what Jamil Hill is doing and cancel her and then go about our business. So there it is. Uh, that's it for today. Make sure to tune in to the RNC convention, the watch party tonight again, all access, uh, 8.15 Eastern time, 5.15 Pacific. I'll talk to you then. If not, I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Democrats have come up with a brilliant plan to counter-program the Republican convention. While the GOP sells grace, forgiveness, and patriotism, the Democrats are burning the country to the ground. We'll talk about that. And we have the Chinese mailbag spreading wisdom like the plague on The Andrew Claven Show. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.